looking back at the last 8 months of lockdown and the pandemic we have been through there are many things we can thank god for isn't it god has kept us safe protected us and also healed us uh, through uh, healed many of us through this uh, pandemic time and there are many things we 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 are tempted to uh, question god for as well he allowed uh, he allowed us to pass through uncertain situations and there are many prayers that has been an- answered till now waiting for god uh, to to answer our prayers or you know god to act on our behalf is not an easy thing we often grow weary we show impatience and in that process we might get frustrated as well in these moments we ask god questions like does god really exist is he if he exist then why is he not mindful of me if he is mindful then why is he not delivering me many such questions popped out in our head and i've been through that situation as well i i i don't deny that are we really tired of waiting upon god i think many of us can relate to this today we will look at the very familiar passage we just read and we will we will understand how the invisible hand of god fashions our life thank you sam for reading the passage for today the story of exodus is familiar to all of us from childhood this specific narrative we have just looked at uh, we we see we will see that how god's how god is working in the life of his people and his nature and his uh, character in a very very special way but before we get into the text for today let's uh, try to uh, let's try to spend some time to understand the rich context behind this narrative that will help us to deep uh, that, that will help us to gain some very important insights about this this story the history of this narrative goes back to genesis In Genesis chapter 12 we see God called Abraham out from Ur of Chaldeans we all know about that story and to leave the country uh, and go to a place God is going to show them God is going to show him Abraham obeyed him and uh, stepped out in faith later in chapter 15 God is establishing a covenant with uh, Abraham uh, what we call it as Abrahamic covenant the abrahamic covenant had three main uh, elements of promise there was a promise of descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore there was a promise of land and there was a promise of uh, salvation and redemption to all people of the, uh, all people on the earth through a seed of abraham which we will see at a later uh, later chapter but abraham had questions on these uh, promises in chapter 15 uh, god patiently answers this question uh and especially on the first two elements of how these promises are going to be fulfilled fulfilled in answering this question about the promise of land uh, in genesis chapter 15 in verse 13 onwards god goes god says to abraham that you are not the one who is going to uh possess the land but your descendants are going to uh, occupy that uh, will be uh, occupying that land and uh, also god gives a way uh, how they are going to uh, how they are going to uh, uh, take that land into possession in that uh, in that prophecies we see a series of um, promises god is giving to abraham 
God's, uh, God tells that in that prophecy that uh, they will be enslaved and oppressed in a foreign land for around 400 years. After 400 years, God is going to judge the nation who oppressed them and bring them out of that land. From that point, we know how the history has unfolded uh, at the time of famine, during the time of Joseph's time, the generation of uh, Abraham, that is, uh, that is uh, Jacob and his sons, and uh, a family of 70 people has entered the land of uh, Egypt. The family of Jacob enjoyed a special uh, privilege in, uh, in Egypt. They were given Goshen, the best part of the land in uh, Egypt. Later, by the end of um, Genesis, we read about the death of Joseph, uh, who, were in, who was instrumental in bringing the uh, people of uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob's family to the Egypt. The, ex, uh, the book of Exodus starts with uh, listing out the genealogical summary of uh, Jacob, which was earlier given in chapter 46 of Genesis. Now, verse 7 of uh, chapter 1 is pivotal verse, which sets the stage for the new story to begin. Now it says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So that land was filled with them. The language we see here is very, uh, very similar to what we see in Genesis 1.28, where God is blessing Adam and Eve and saying, be fruitful and multiply. Their rapid growth was, in fact, God's blessing in faithful fulfillment to the creation decree and Abrahamic covenant. Now, in Exodus 1.8, we see a contrasting imagery. It reads, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know about Joseph. Here we see a vast political as well as an ideological shift in Egypt. To understand this better, we need to look at the political history of Egypt during this time. The understanding of the political history depends on how we understand when the exodus actually took place. There are two major popular views to that. I'll just quickly tell that. First one, uh, the main, some uh, scholars say that Exodus happened during 13th century BC, close to 1290 BC. But majority of the uh, scholars believe that this has happened during 15th century BC, close to 1446 BC. This early date of uh, 15th century BC has more support from the biblical dates of and as well as the archaeological record. Now, based on this view, Jake, uh, Joseph came to Egypt during the 15th dynasty of pharaohs when Hyksos were ruling. Hyksos were outsiders who invaded and conquered Egypt. They were migrant rulers, more ethnically closer to uh, Hebrews, by which God orchestrated a favorable situation for Joseph to rise to power and Israelites to be allocated their, their own land. Now, uh, Hyksos were seen as an outsiders uh, by native Egyptian, and they were expelled from Egypt by the uh, native 18th, uh, 18th dynasty of pharaohs. Now, after the expulsion of Hyksos, an accomplishment which was celebrated much in the Egyptian history, it is quite understandable that feeling against foreigners was high. A pharaoh who had expelled and hated foreign oppressors would have no sympathy or interest in honoring the memory of a foreigner, Joseph, who had served as an Egyptian prime minister during the reign of one of those Hyksos pharaohs. In other words, the Israelis were now in a current country whose government hated foreigners. The implication of word in verse 8 did not know about Joseph literally means that this new pharaoh refused to honor any prior arrangement made protecting the status of Israelites during the time of Joseph. Now, it is interesting to note the contrast between verse 7 in chapter 1, which the narrator views as a blessing, 
but the new king, the new pharaoh, sees as a problem from verse nine onwards. A sign of blessing for Israel is a sign of a threat for Pharaoh. Interestingly, this new Pharaoh is the first one to recognize the children of Israel as people with its own identity and identified Israel as a nation within a nation in verse nine. Verse ten of chapter one gives the real reason for his fear and concern. He says they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, when war breaks out, they will join our enemy and fight against us. But the last part of our, uh, but, but last part in our English Bible says that leave our country, which doesn't seem the right translation. Leaving the country can never be a threat of fear for Pharaoh in times of war against them. And Israelite depra- departure is a most welcome development during uh, during that time from an Egyptian point of view. That since that would eliminate an enemy threat from their midst. This latter part is in fact a Hebrew idiom, which means to take possession of the land. This new pharaoh's threat is actually being uh, fear is actually that this new uh, these foreigners uh, Israelites would take control from within, as the, it has happened to them in the past during the time of Hyksos. With this threat from within, this new pharaoh has tried to implement three nationwide policy to control the population of Israelites and to degrade their status uh, in the Egyptian society. Pharaoh's first policy was to implement slavery to reorder the Israelites in uh, Egyptian society. Israelites would no longer be an independent people, but slaves under the control of Egyptian slave master, performing forced uh, labors assigned to them. By forcing them to ser- servitude, his idea was to lower the, uh, their status and identity in an Egyptian society, and th- so that they will likely not be able to organize themselves against the uh, um, those those in uh, ruling position. So their original identity, as we know, they were shepherds. Secondly, the long hours of forced labor would uh, lead to separation that would cut down time to both to conceive as well as nurture the children. This prevents an Israelite population from multiplying further. But the text says that Pharaoh didn't succeed in that attempt. Rather, more he oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. So it was, in fact, a blessing in disguise for the Israelite. The second policy was a quiet male genocide. Midwives were told uh, to kill the male babies before they were born. But uh, as the text says in verse 17 of chapter 1, midwives feared the God and uh, midwives feared God and didn't go by the orders of Pharaoh. The third policy was to make a uh, make uh, make the public genocide uh, where Pharaoh asked the uh, parents to throw their male babies in the river Nile. Here again, it is interesting to note that God raised a group of women to stand against this powerful Pharaoh and his policies, starting from midwives, then Moses' mother and Miriam, uh, including Pharaoh's own daughter. Under this socio-political environment, we see Moses' birth in chapter 2. Mo- uh, his mother hid him for three months, but when uh, she long- no longer could hide him, uh, she made a papyrus basket coated it with tar and pitch and put the baby Moses in the basket and placed it in the river Nile. It is not a coincidence that the Hebrew word, uh, Hebrew word for the basket is the same that is used for Noah's Ark in Genesis, Genesis 6, even though the sizes are too different. Both the vessels carry the occupants to safety and they both were instruments of God's gracious salvation. Here it, is in, uh, here it is again interesting to note the royal house is not only really subordinated to God's overruling uh, 
it's not just the river but the, also the gods uh, you know overruling providence was over the royal house as well the very same house de- who decreed the death was the instrument of life when pharaoh's daughter adopted moses uh, as his own son she raised him as a prince of egypt and gave most comprehensive and finest education that was available but that was not to preparing for uh, preparing for the uh, uh, prince in uh, prince of egypt but be a leader who can lead the nation of israel out of egypt and be a, a mediator of the old covenant at the age of 40 he went out to uh, see the affairs of his fellow israelites and encountered an egyptian beating an israelite he ter- er terribly when he took god's judgment on his own head by killing that egyptian by beating him because of that moses had to flee uh, flee from egypt and to a uh, midianite wilderness far away from the cities there also we see moses uh, heart was on fire for justice there we see shepherds uh, were chasing the women away from the well and he stood for them uh, to defend them moses exile to egypt was a part of uh, all part of great god's great plan moses was now clearly separated from his egyptian ties and could not even stay in the country where he was born moses is now adopted into a new family the family of ruel the priest of midian moses married his uh, daughter zipora and had a son gershom and found a home in a uh, foreign country midianites were not uh, strangers to moses but, uh, they were in fact def- descended from abraham through uh, his wife ketura as we read in genesis 25 relatively independent and isolated people midianites were just the sort of people to seek refuge among a fugitive like moses from so from 40 years to 80 years we see moses wandering in the midianite wilderness shepherding the flock of his father in law at the same time we see a long period of silence from god towards the oppression of israelites a genuine question from an israelite perspective would be is god really mindful of of, of us will our cries for the deliverance be heard with this in background let's go into the uh, scripture we read today exodus uh, 2 verse 23 to 25 and uh, 3 verse 7 we see uh, god relates to the suffering of his children in verse 23 uh, we see pharaoh who intended to kill moses died this makes it possible for moses to return to egypt no longer as a criminal fugitive but he has he was able to be part of the uh, egyptian uh, society while the pharaoh who started the oppression died the successive pharaoh continued the uh, the same oppression israelite oppression the new king coming to the power the israelites thought that there would be some relief to this their struggle but the change in government produced no relief and the, in fact the painful slavery continued the the misery of them is emphasized as we read in verse 23 they groaned in their slavery and cried for help because of their slavery in their miserable state we see what the israelites did in verse 23 we read they cried out their cry went up to god this description of their prayer is central during the this time they were earnestly praying to god for help later in deuteronomy 26:7 moses summarizes it then we cried out to the lord the god of our fathers and the lord heard our voice and saw our misery toil and oppression the exodus did not come about because people were in trouble it was a result of prayer and rescue to god 
if life had to be possible again god had to become involved here in this three verses we see four active verbs which is describing god's response to his people god heard god remembered god saw and god knew in each of these usages we see without a pronoun like he in the original text this strongly suggests god's direct personal involvement in every aspect of uh, of the response our god is not a distant force who cannot relate to the pain and suffering of his children he can relate to uh, his people through ways he can uh, we can understand uh, through human actions and emotions here we see god who is mindful the usages god heard and god saw in response to his people's cry and groaning groaning is in fact god's shows god's sensitivity to human need it is not a passive hearing by god but an active listening god has heard their cry throughout their oppression and but now we see that he's moved towards them with kindness and sympathy he is not a someone who neither knows nor cares when we suffer but his heart is to attune to the slightest whispers of his children a similar language we see in genesis 3 uh, uh, exodus 3 7 where god uh, himself says in uh, in the first person i have indeed seen i have heard them i am concerned i have indeed seen which means that i have paid very close attention to the indicating god's intensity and interest in the in, uh, in misery of his people god calling his uh, israel my people and in this verse uh, in this verse and later in chapter 4 verse 23 he's called them my firstborn my son echoing how intimately he is involved with his people and how they how he is related to them when talking about idols uh, made with human hands uh, sam says in Psalm 135 verse 16 they have mouth but do not do not speak they have eyes but do not uh, see they have ears but do not hear nor is their breath in their mouth those who trust in idols will never be able to he- have their cries heard or their prayers answered but they think they are reaching out to a god who can see hear speak and respond to their cry but ironically when we are crying out to a living our living god have we ever been drawn to uh, think that we are crying to a god who is not hearing and seeing our a pain what we are going through if we have ever felt that then we have equated our god, living god to an idol isn't it very dangerous and sinful to degrade a god to a position of an idol our god is indeed living and we should have the full confidence that he is intimately attentive to our cry secondly we see god who is faithful the phrases god remembered and god knew conveys his positive response to the, what he heard and what he seen we read in verse 24 that god remembered his covenant the covenant here is here in the question uh, covenant in question is the abrahamic covenant because it was made initially with abraham here the statement uh, remembered his covenant with abraham with isaac and jacob is worded in a such a way to emphasize his renewal to the subsequent con- uh, generation in other words when it says god remembered his covenant it is to say that our god is faithful and he decided to honor the terms of his covenant at this time which he promised to abraham earlier we seen in chapter 1 that the new pharaoh is not ready to honor the agreement which uh, which was made with the prior uh, made with the israelites uh, with prior uh, pharaoh but here we see a god who is faithful through throughout the generation secondly when it says 
God knew it conveys an experiential and relational knowledge. God refused to sit back as though he had no responsibility for these people's welfare. Now God says that those are my people by covenant. I can't let this situation continue. The theological here issue here is not whether or how people suffer. The issue here is does the suffering go unnoticed? The answer is it does not. And indeed the one who is mindful is true, omnipotent and loving God. His people can take confidence that their suffering is part of a God's great plan. And there is a distinct end, a distinct beginning and end to that. Their suffering is understood and washed over by a sovereign God. And he will not let it continue without good purpose and result. When we suffer, we can know for sure that God is intimately attentive to our cries and he's faithful to his promises to us. Have you ever thought about how many times we have been photographed in a day when we walk into a bank or mall, even the streets, even the, the very place we are here, it's uh, been monitored by CCTV. Our world is full of cameras around us to make sure that we are safe and uh, the, they catch if something goes wrong. Isn't it even more encouraging for us that every moment of our day, we are washed over by a sovereign God who relates to us and is mindful of every minute details and circumstances in our life. So we have seen from the text that God who is mindful and he is faithful to his promises. Secondly, we see from chapter 3, verse 1 to 6 and 11 to 14, God's revelation is the fortress during suffering. In contrast to the first two chapters, which span over a very long period of time, probably zoomed out uh, to uh, over 80 to 90 uh, years of time, the pace of the narrative significantly slows down from chapter 3 onwards. Chapter 3 starts off with describing Moses' ongoing occupation as shepherd. Moses' identification with his own ethnic people was so strong that he was serving in the occupation of a shepherd, something one who thought himself as an Egyptian would have never taken because Egyptians hated shepherds. God wanted a shepherd for his people, so his chosen man had to learn how to look after someone else's sheep. Moses had his period of probation and undeclared training, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. He certainly had to learn to learn the lesson of being faithful to tend after someone else's sheep. At the age of 80, Moses was taking the flocks of father-in-law to graze to the far side of the desert, and arrived at Mount Horeb. For 40 years, Moses had been doing the same thing every single day, until one day, he saw one of the most incredible experiences in his lifetime. He saw an ordinary bush, brushes which is, appeared to be on fire, yet he noticed that it is not consumed in no, no, uh, no way. Notice his reaction in verse 3. I will turn aside to see this great side, why this bush is not burnt. The, this was against against nature. It was a supernatural phenomenon. What Moses saw in the fire was supernatural visible manifestation of the glory of God. This is a biblical example of what we call theophany. God made manifest. In chapter 3 verse uh, 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. On top of the strange phenomenon of the bush that was burning and not being consumed from the bushes then started talking to him, calling him by name, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandal off your feet. 
for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. In an ancient Semitic culture, addressing someone's name by by uh, saying his twice is an ex- expression of affection and friendship. So Moses would have immediately understood that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and was concerned about him. In this first encounter with living God, he hid his face. He didn't dare look at what was right in front of him. But few la- years later, we see Moses was having communion with God for 40 days in Mount Sinai and people couldn't look at his face because his face was shining. What began as a just another ordinary day turned out to be an absolutely new experience for Moses. The old life of shepherding is coming to an end and new life of a deliverer is starting. God's revelation, unique revelation to Moses was in an unexpected way in an ordinary bush and in the most unexpected place in an ordinary desert. In God's revelation to Moses, we learn some important characteristics about God. God who is holy. Chapter uh, 3 verse 4, uh, 3 verse 2 to 5. In verse 4, we read God calling Moses towards him. But in verse 5, we see him tell him, do not come closer. There seems to be a contradiction in this interaction. That is indeed because of God's holiness. What does God's holiness mean or holiness of God mean? Separateness seems to offer the best explanation of bringing together what the Bible has to say about the Holy One. The idea of separateness has a positive rather than a negative connotation. The triune God from eternity past, even before he created a being, he is holy. So holiness has to do with God's absolute moral purity. God's holiness is not a a passive attribute, but an active force. It embraces all that conforms to it and destroys all that offense. We see that many, many examples in that uh, in Bible. The biblical symbol of this holiness is a fire which provides a framework around the central narrative of uh, Exodus. It starts with the fire in the bush. We we see that in chapter 3, verse 2, and ends with the fire in mountain in chapter 19, verse 18. And in each case, the fire is linked with separateness of divine versus the uh, human. Out of this blazing uh, holiness, the Lord calls Moses and commands him to remove his sandals in verse 5. There is a common interpretation that removal of sandal is symbolized by putting aside all that is in contact with the defilement of earth. Following this biblical incident, I, uh, many remove their shoes while they pray and enter uh, you know, for uh, worship meetings and all. There is nothing particularly wrong with that practice if your relationship and your heart attitude is right with God. Even though this idea is appealing, it may not be the best way to understand what is passed between the Lord and Moses. The Lord's command signifies first his desire that Moses should be enabled to remain standing on the holy ground. And secondly, that what condition required to continue standing on that. God desire us to be in his holy presence. But we read in Psalms 24, 3, who may ascend, uh, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? No removal of uh, sandal or uh, anything in Moses could enable him to stand on the holy ground to which God has called him. Only God's enablement allows it. There is striking simplicity and accessibility in what required of Moses. Take off your shoes. The principle expressed here is consistent throughout the Bible. In Mosaic system, 
the acceptance was through the atoning, atoning power of the divinely required sacrifices. These sacrifices pointed towards the Christ who suffered the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. In, uh, as it says in 1 Peter 3.18. The point, therefore, Moses taking off his shoe is a lesson of simple obedience in faith. God's enablement is there for all who are in Christ to enter his holy presence and boldly approach his throne. God's holiness requires that he acts according to his holy standards, not as we would like to want him to act. This also means that God expects us to live a holy life so that he can act on our behalf. Sometimes our sinfulness could be the reason God is not, uh, God is not acting on our behalf, even when we cry out to him in, uh, when we are suffering. If you truly understand God's holiness from what he has revealed from the scripture, then we can never take our sins lightly. God called us to be holy as he is holy. So first we see God who is holy. And secondly, we see God who is am, I am. In chapter 3, verse uh, 13 and 14, we see uh, God who is I am. Moses gives a series of five objections and questions back to God in chapter 3 and 4 to evade from the mission of delivering uh, Israel from Egypt. The second objection uh, of Moses, he's asking a question back to God in verse 13 of 3. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? To that question, God answers, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent uh, send me to you. The Moses' uh, question of knowing the name of uh, God had a pagan outlook. In Egypt, every God had a name like Osre, Samun, Hathor. There is a long list of names that identify the deity by gender, powers and rank within the hierarchy of deities. Also, Egyptians believed that knowing these special names of their gods would give them some secret secret powers, which are accessible only to very few people. When God revealed himself as I am, it is not that his name is actually I am as a noun, like Egyptian gods, but he revealed something very much far beyond that. But he, um, the most natural expression of uh, that, just, just, that does justice to the meaning of I am is that that name is connected to the, uh, the Hebrew form of the verb to be, and is to be seen as the expressing his nature, character, and the essence of uh, the promise which God has given in verse 12, just before that, I will be with you throughout, the, um, you know, I will be with you. So throughout the scriptures, we see the names of individuals, uh, which tells something significant about their being or character. Nowhere is more for profoundly true than in Exodus through when God extraordinarily revealed himself by saying, I am who I am. The very first thing that God revealed himself about uh, in I am is that his, he is a personal God. He didn't say it is what it is, which refers to a false God. He said, I am who I am means that he can relate to the creatures he made in his own image. And he's a God with a name and a history. The second thing we can understand from that revelation is that God is self-existing. He exists independently of all beings. And uh, he is the only being whom the existence is part of the essence. Every, every, every other being is dependent on God. In the simplest terms, this means that he is one true eternal creator God. 
The third thing we are reminded from I am is that God is ever present and never changing God. In the context, we have seen that patriarchs have lived and died. Government and their policies have changed. People and their situations have uh, changed. But God is I am who has never changed throughout the generation. When, God, when we are going through our temporal sufferings of this world, remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as we read in Hebrews 13, verse 8. When God reveals himself to Moses, it is interesting to note Moses' response uh, in verse 11 of 3. He says, who am I that I should go? The first thing that happened to Moses in encounter with uh, God was he questioned his own identity. John Calvin begins his uh, Institute of Christian Religion by saying, we never know who we are until we know who God is. God has revealed himself throughout the scripture, but ultimately it was revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. Knowing God is not a head knowledge, but it's a life transforming experience. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Whoever, whoever has known God, have him, have him as, his, have him as their, their fortress during suffering. Knowing God is the vital truth that enables us to trust him and cling on to his promises when we navigate through the uh, storms of this life. When we uh, look at the text today, we see that God reveals himself as holy. Before he reveals himself as I am, who will be with Moses in his mission, he unfolds the rescue plan to Moses. This brings us to the third point. God responds to his people in uh, his people suffering in unexpected ways. Uh, we see that in Exodus 3 verse 8 to 10. God who is mindful uh, of his children's cry he is a God who acts on their behalf. We see another active verb in verse 8. I have come down to rescue. God does not enact a rescue from uh, Egypt without Pharaoh's knowledge. In fact, he will, he will see that Pharaoh had a choice and a chance to let go, let go Israel willingly. There are some important truths we can learn from God's rescue plan uh, of nation Israel. First, God acts at the perfect time. Chapter 3, verse 9. In verse 9, we read that, And now, behold the, uh, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. God is always acting at the appropriate time. He is never in a hurry, nor will he delay. God knows the perfect time to act. In Habakkuk 1, we see prophet crying out to God in oppression uh, from the Neo-Babylonians. He asks uh, God in chapter 1, verse 2, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear and save. This has been the question many times we are also asked, right? But it's encouraging to see God's response to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 3. God says, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What an assurance we have from God's word. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about God's perfect timing for everything. We have seen the first part of the verse 11 of that chapter in many wedding cards. It says, he has made beautiful in its time. But the second part of the verse is interesting as well. It says, also he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end to the end. 
that is we are not able to discern god's plan fully which are outside of our control and investigation our desire to fully grasp and understand everything god's uh, everything what god has done eternally from the beginning till the end will definitely lead us to futility and eventually lead to frustration rather our desire should be to take steps to discover and fulfill the duties which is to be done each day of our life doing the right thing at the right time yields a beautiful sense of fulfillment secondly we see god arranges perfect means to deliver chapter 3 verse 10 god's power was quite sufficient to bring the people of israel out of bondage but he chose to deliver them through a human instrument god works for men by men so he has perf- uh, prepared a perfect deliverer through moses who can rescue who can lead the rescue mission god says in verse 10 of 3 come i will send you to pharaoh that you may bring my people 40 years before this incident would have, uh, incident took place moses would have been the worst choice who can lead the nation of israel out of egypt israelite could never identify with a person like moses who grew up in a egyptian palace as a prince of egypt later he want to be a folk hero by showing allegiance to his roots by taking justice in his hands and killing a killing an egyptian that did not go well with him he was quite an opposite to be a meek person during his stay in midianite wilderness for 40 years god was not only really protecting him from the avengers who was about to take his life but he was rather he was also preparing him to be a leader who can shepherd god's children and also an israel uh, and a also to uh, to be an israelite whom an other israelite can identify with in numbers 12:3 uh, in the context of um, moses and uh, moses having a uh, miriam and uh, aaron having an opposition with moses we read in chapter 12 verse 3 moses testifies about himself uh, let me read that verse now the moses the man moses was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth we may think of this as a self aggrandizing statement but in reality it is exactly opposite what we think the word translated here as meekness in english bible is not the same word used for meekness or humility in the hebrew text but one that conveys a person's devout dependence upon god in his first encounter with the lord at the mount horeb we see that moses realized his human limitation and gave many excuses and re- was reluctant to be part of this mission but god has given him the assurance and strengthened his faith with that assurance moses went forth in complete obedience and dependence upon god so he was used by god in ways far surpassed uh, far surpassed human uh, comprehension this is exactly what that verse mean he he was a person who who was successful or or he was uh, who he is because god has transformed him when god decided to act for deliver he is not only prepared the perfect deliver but he also assured his presence with him during this time of uh, during this mission god also chose the right way to deliver uh, israelites pharaoh's arrogance would have come because israelites were they, he was successful in keeping israelites under slavery without any insurgence for many years to break the arrogance of pharaoh and the nation as a whole god had the best plan with each plague god was incrementally judging hard hearted pharaoh and the entire nation 
it was not a narrow escape for the israelites they were favorably disposed by the egyptian with a lot of possessions needed for building the tabernacle in the wilderness no one could ever imagine god doing this when they were in operation once uh, fb mayor a dear friend of dl moody was asked to address a gathering uh, about uh, answered prayer while they were going in a uh, in the cruise uh, you know atlantic an atheist who was present uh, at that service was asked by his friend after um, after he was hearing this sermon what do you think of dr mayor's sermon he answered i didn't believe a word uh, what mayor was saying dr may was speaking la- again later that day many of the listeners who was uh, part of the morning sermon also wanted to be part so this atheist just thought i i will also anyway just go and listen so while he was going he he took two oranges and put that in his uh, pocket while he was going on his way he passed on an um, older lady who was sitting on the deck deck who uh, was fast asleep her hands were wide open in the spirit of fun he put the two oranges in the lady's outstretched outstretched ham, uh, arms um, after the meeting when he was coming back he saw this lady was happily eating these two uh, these oranges so he asked him you seems to be enjoying these oranges so he said to uh, 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 he said to uh, him yes sir i enjoy in fact my father is good to me he was surprised at that reply and told surely your father can't be alive at this age because you seems to be very old he she uh, replied telling he is uh, very much alive i have been waiting for this uh, i have been seasick for many days and was asking heavenly father that someone could send me a, uh, oranges i suppose i was fell asleep when i was praying and when i woke i see two oranges in my hand that uh, that was that led to the uh, atheist to uh, you know be converted to lord and he was was quite baffled at that response in fact it is true that all of our prayers will be answered by god in his will when god gives answers to our prayer he not only acts at the right time he arranges perfect means for having that prayer answered my dear dear brothers and sisters if we are struggling with god not answering our prayer the way we expect him to answer let's understand that our limited mind cannot comprehend god's way of answering our prayers when we when we don't see god visibly acting outside remember that god is doing his act behind the scenes it may be that he is preparing us maybe that the de- deliverer is not matured enough to be uh, to to uh, to come to us and be uh, act as a deliverer or it may be that situation is not ready for us to be delivered into we need to keep us reminded that god's character keep us reminded of god's character and his promise during the time of waiting and know that god knows end from the beginning it's quite puzzling uh, that why did god allow abraham's descendants to be severely oppressed to receive blessing what god has promised to abraham i had this question for a long time and uh, it took me a while for me to understand there is no straightforward answers given in one portion of the text the clue is tra- scattered throughout the scripture when god called abraham out of abraham uh, from chaldeans the amorites who was living uh, in that region or the canaanites were living sinfully in that land in fact lot was rescued from that such such sinful living when sodom and gomorrah was destroyed a few years later we see jacob and his family uh, came to egypt egypt and they enjoyed a special privilege 
and Egyptians never mingled with them because they hated uh, uh, shepherds. The, so Israelites were uh, growing and multiplying in Egypt, and he reached a point. God, um, he reached a point where they had a separate identity, and they were uh, called as a nation within a nation. During the birth of nation, God wanted to protect these Israelites uh, to without mingling with the pagan nations in Canaanite region. So this was a perfect uh, uh, place for uh, um, Israelites to grow themselves. In fact. So then we see that God waited for 400 years for his uh, Amorites to turn away from the, uh, the sin and wickedness. In Genesis 15 verse 16, we see that uh, in the context of uh, Abrahamic covenant, covenant uh, God says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. During those 400 years, God patiently waited, them, waited for them to turn away from the sin, but they grew in their wickedness and reached a point for God to judge. Meanwhile, in Egypt, Israelites were oppressed. Many times in the history of, uh, history of nation Israelites, Israel, we see that they were oppressed by their enemy and had to accept, accept this defeat because of their sinfulness. But here in this case, the Bible doesn't give any explicit reason for that. But I believe there are two primary reasons can, uh, that can be understood from the history of the nation Israel. First, it was a way to manifest God's glory to nation Israel, nation Israel as well as Egyptian uh, who were watching what was happening, what was God was doing. One devastating plague after other fell on Egypt until Pharaoh had no choice to let the Israelites go. The, God, the Bible itself is very clear that stubbornness is the result of God's work. The infliction of plagues was the self-revelation of God. The deliverance occurs when God steps into the human experience and manifests himself. The second reason was for Israelites' goodness, uh, Israelites' goodness itself. The severe, severe oppression was the only way God could get Israelites out of their comfort zone. Israelites settled in the beautiful plush land of Goshen, resolved that they would be there, uh, settled permanently there. By, uh, by oppression, Israelites were in pain and anxious to get out of Egypt. God wanted to bring them to a point where they would willingly come out with joy and delight. The whole experience of uh, birth of nation Israel can be compared to a birth of a baby forming in the womb of a mother. It is impossible for baby to sustain a life outside uh, mother's womb during the first 40 weeks of its life. But beyond that, it's in fact dangerous for the mother and baby to continue in, its, in the womb. That's when the natural process of birth is happening and a baby can sustain life outside of you. Once the nation of Israel has reached a point of identity, they had to be separated and be living in a land God has promised to them through Abraham. God, in his perfect time, through his perfect deliver, rescued uh, his nation Israel. God was scripting the uh, history behind the scenes to fulfill the Abrahamic promises through a series of seemingly unrelated events through many centuries. By this miraculous providence, God had gave the descendants of Abraham the, a large progeny and judged the nation who oppressed them. Also later through Joshua, we see that uh, Canaanites were, uh, were judged for their sin as well. So through this, all the promises to Abraham was fulfilled, in fact. Like Israelites, God sometimes allows uh, suffering to shake us out of our comfort zone. We should hold off our first response, why God, why me, 
and how long I should be going through this. And always remind ourselves as God is good, irrespective of what I'm going through and how I'm feeling about it. When God allows something, it is not only for his go- go- glory, but also to accomplish a greater goodness in his will. So what, are we, uh, what did we learn from the text today? We learned that our suffering and pain is not meaningless. When going through turmoil and chaotic situation, it may not make sense at that point in time, but we are to remind ourselves ourselves that God is ever mindful and he's intimately involved in our situation. He controls everything sovereignly and working behind the scenes to accomplish his will and greater purpose uh, to, uh, to what he wanted to accomplish in our life. Every situation God takes us through will have greater goodness that will reveal his glory. We are called out to, uh, we are commanded to call out to God, resting in his promises and his faithfulness to deliver us. If there is any sin in us that is keeping us, God, from acting on our behalf, we should repent and come back to God. God in his perfect time, by his perfect means, will answer for sure. Let's learn to lean on God completely and wait upon him to act. May his name be glorified.